Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Selling isn't as simple as just selling. Not if you want to be excellent at it. If you're a sales manager or a salesperson and want to transform the way you work, you need to have a plan. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on sales management planning. In it, you'll find checklists for both sales managers and salespeople that were designed to help you manage your sales activities and goals. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 232. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I'm speaking to the Vice President of Sales at Clora, which is an intelligent platform that efficiently matches life science companies with flexible on-demand expertise. Really cool sounding company. She has extensive sales leadership experience in multiple industries, and she also co-runs the Boston chapter of the National Association of Women Sales Professionals. We are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Colleen Manning. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. As I mentioned in the intro, obviously you have a you have a lot of different experience kind of across multiple industries in sales leadership. Could you kind of introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe talk about the journey that you've been on to where you are today and a little bit about what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. It is um, kind of interesting. I've never really been in the same industry twice. And um you know, a couple of years back, I was looking at that as a potential obstacle in getting into my next role. And then I started to realize that it actually was pretty uh, appealing to employers because, you know, it really shows that I have the ability to learn and execute regarding uh, whatever industry I really want to get into. So um, I'm glad that that hasn't been a challenge and it actually has been the opposite for me. Um, so yeah, I'm currently at a, a company called Clora, uh, running their sales team. We're a very small company today, about 16 people. Um, the last company I was with was a similar size when I started from a sales perspective. There was about three people on the team there at Easy Cater. Um, and by the time I left almost four years later, um, I had grown that to almost about 120 people on the sales team. Wow. Yeah. Um, just as far as my background and stuff, I kind of have a atypical background starting in the restaurant and hospitality industry um, mm -hmm. and then getting into sales thereafter. I uh, didn't take your typical path of going to college after high school. I just got right into the, um, you know, the working world um, and just had a really strong personal de desire and motivation to be successful, which in turn ended up kind of developing into that sales career. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that you started in the hospitality space, because that is a space where, first of all, you have to be incredibly focused on the customer. And when it comes to sales, if you really understand your buyers and your prospects and what it is that they care about and are concerned about, uh, you're, you always have a leg up and you're always going to um, have an advantage because some salespeople don't necessarily come in with that mindset. Um, but second, uh, it's a it's a very active space. Generally, you have to be very busy um, and it, there, there's a lot of energy that's required to be successful. And that's a lot of times also what it takes, especially when you're just starting out and selling. Yeah, you hit like the nail on the head on both of those items. I think, um, you know, just from like a environment perspective, you know, it's very similar where I have um, the employees right at the restaurant that um, now it's similar to having my sales reps. 
Uh, and then you've also got the customers, which obviously is customers still in a sales organization. So, you know, you've got two potential like buyers that you need to be able to relate and work with. Um, and similarly, like on the environment side, you know, it was super fast paced. There were, you know, goals that were similar to a sales organization as far as just like metrics and numbers that you were responsible for achieving. Um, so it, it very, you know, much related to the industry as a whole. Definitely. And I think that's something that some people might not recognize is, especially in um, the hospitality industry, how incredibly metrics driven it is. And um, depending on the timing that you were there, you probably were kind of at the beginning of um, when you moved into more traditional kind of um, corporate environments, you were, I would imagine, relatively early on as as metrics became kind of more advanced in the in the corporate um, B2B sales space. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very, you know, relative as a whole. Um, and I think the experience that I had in the hospitality industry um, helped me really facilitate and drive those metrics in a sales organization, right? So just, I mean, it's funny to talk about, but, you know, things like drive-through times or production times for the kitchen. Um, I mean, I often found myself like, you know, taking orders on the drive-through and then running down to make sure that we were getting it out the window fast enough or jumping into the kitchen to help get them, you know, made as quickly as possible. So all of that, um, you know, translated into a sales role just from, you know, making sure that we had uh, the right amount of calls that we're getting out and emails and meetings booked and then obviously closes and things like that. So um, I definitely think it, you know, really prepared me for, a sales organization, um, even though coming into sales, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Definitely. I love that. That's something I, I didn't expect to discover in our conversation today, but I'm glad we went there because um, I think a lot of times as a, as a salesperson or a sales leader, if you're looking at your experience and you're looking at your resume and you're thinking about, you know, how can I tell my story? as I'm maybe looking for my next job. Um, people don't always look at the jobs that they've had in a, in a non-corporate space, a non-maybe professional space, and think about what are the best practices that they might have learned? What are the, um, the characteristics that they might have been able to leverage to be successful? And think about translating those. And I think there's been really good conversation that's happened related to veterans and how the specific experiences of veterans can be applicable in other roles. And that's something that is really exciting to see because that's an important community that we need to support. But if you came up in um, customer service roles and you have a lot of strong experience there, to be able to translate the key things of that experience, the, the key um, traits that you have and behaviors that you learned and skills that you were able to leverage to be successful and figure out how to communicate that those might help you in different roles like sales, um, that's a wonderful thing to be able to translate because you know there's, there's significant financial opportunity um, on the sales side that you're not necessarily gonna get working in a restaurant. Um, but if you don't even know that that's an option for you, you might really limit yourself. Yeah, what's also interesting is um, when I'm looking for people in, like an entry-level type sales role, I'll always try and find people that come from the hospitality industry. So, I mean, literally, like, if I go out to dinner and, you know, the person that's waiting on our table is amazing, or literally one time at a supermarket, um, you know, one that I frequented and frequented all the time, um, there was this 
girl there who was just like so fast paced, so friendly, um, just like always went above and beyond out of her way. And I tried so hard to recruit her into sales, but she loved her job <laughs> so much. I couldn't even steal her. But, uh, you know, it's those types of people that really end up doing well. Um, and sometimes it's just they don't know that sales exists. Absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of times uh, people feel like I've scraped the barrel clean, especially when you look at um, the unemployment numbers that you see right now in many areas of the U.S. And as you said, for an entry level role, really being creative, because in so many organizations, you don't necessarily need to have a lot of industry expertise. And you've learned that even as a sales leader. and really, it's about kind of energy. It's about um, creativity. It's about um, that that focus on the customer and you know friendliness. And and it's it's a lot more about those soft skills. And you can find people in a lot of creative places who might have those. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of my mantras too is just you can teach people to step on the brake, but you can't teach them the gas. So looking for those people who have that self-drive and motivation is half the battle. Absolutely. I just had a really difficult conversation with a client, um, with their sales lead uh, yesterday about um, some challenges that they're having with their team. And it's mostly about drive. And we're going to work on it and we're going to see but man, it's it's one of those things that is very difficult to teach if people don't have it. Now, certainly, if you've got somebody on your team who doesn't have it, figuring out maybe why not, um, you know, trying to take a deep dive, seeing if there's anything structural that's holding them back. But um, it's a it's a big red, big red flag. Sometimes it also can be just about um, like what motivates people differently, right? So very early in my leadership track, I you know just assumed that all salespeople were motivated by money. Um, so I was always like running competitions and spiffs and there was this one guy who like just didn't care. And I ended up having a conversation one-on-one with him. I'm like, like, why aren't you trying harder? I'm throwing out all this money and like, you're the best one on the floor. You, you know, you could win this without a doubt. Um, and it came down to like money just wasn't the thing that drove him. It was that recognition uh, so it was kind of an eye-opening thing for me. Like, okay, if I just sent an email, you know, to my leadership team that this person was killing it, that's what drove him. Um, so sometimes it's just about finding like, what is that right motivator for the team? And it's not the same for everybody. Absolutely. I'm going to include a link in the show notes because I wrote an ebook a few years ago on four dimensions of motivation and really figuring out for yourself, how are you motivated? And then for your team, how are they motivated? Uh, That's key. And that's one of the foundations of being an effective leader is really understanding the different people you have and and how to motivate them. That kind of leads into the next question and kind of the bulk of our conversation today is really going to be about growing into a successful leader because we've talked about this. You have a lot of different sales leadership experience in a lot of different industries. Not like you've been hopping around like crazy. I don't want to make that implication, but you know, you, you have a variety there um, and you've been able to grow into a successful leader over time. I imagine that that's something that you really worked on and focused on. If we've got listeners who want to become successful leaders, what are some of the best practices that you would recommend? Um, I think one of the things that um, I've been studying a lot about recently is just the the concept about emotional intelligence. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really something that plays strongly into leadership roles, right? So um, 
one of the key factors there is just about being self-aware um, and being able to really understand and manage your own emotions. So I think early in my leadership career, I didn't realize the amount of effect that how I felt that day had on the rest of my life. Oh, yes. So I might've come in like in a super bad mood or, you know, had a bad call or maybe just a personal issue going on. And if I portrayed that in front of my team, the rest of the team had a bad day. Um, And it's amazing to know the impact, you know, or to realize the impact that just how you are acting has on the rest of the team. So managing your own emotions and being able to identify that, um, I think is like huge in leadership, um, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's something that I've seen so often. Um, It's most obvious when it's somebody who comes in with a negative emotion, like you said, having a bad day. And they don't even have to rant about their bad day or, or complain to everybody, but it's in body language, yeah. and facial expression, and tone of voice, and it's it. it I, I don't I don't like to ever describe people as toxic. People aren't toxic, but behavior is toxic, and that can be a toxic behavior if you have somebody who's doing that repeatedly, and it can just be a coworker who does that, and that's bad enough. When it's a leader that immediately spreads out to everybody on the team. And if instead you come in and, you know, you might be having a difficult situation happening, you might be having a bad day, but you project confidence and you project enthusiasm and you project focus, that's something that then spreads across the team and they're able to really generate that forward. And guess what? That'll actually change how you feel when you start to see that the team is doing what they need to be doing. And so it, it can kind of turn into a cycle, the a good cycle, of, not a bad one. Yeah. The flip side of that though, that um, I will say is another key area of emotional intelligence is just the concept of, of social skills. Um, and I think that your team also wants to work for someone who is human and relatable mm-hmm. to them, right? So by pretending that everything's okay or by acting in a very happy mood all the time that is portrayed as fake, I think can have the opposite effect, effect as well, right? So I think it's that balance. If you are having a bad day, knowing you know that, that you're feeling that way or that something is occurring that's making your emotions come out, uh, and maybe just addressing it. Like if you're having conversations with the team, oh yeah, like I'm struggling with this today or this happened at home. And then portraying that in a positive way on like what you can do to make the day better. Um, but not addressing it, I think is where the challenge becomes an issue for the team, right? So if you're just pretending that you're okay, but clearly acting as if you're not okay, then the team is going to feel it. Um Absolutely. That's a really great point. It's not about pasting on the happy face. And people have a strong BS detector. And you can tell if somebody is like, you know, that I think we've always seen that person that is clearly projecting some irritation with a really fake smile on top of it. And that's not subtle. And and even if people don't consciously recognize it, they're going to be subconsciously um, feeling it. And so 
as a, as a leader, like you said, um, being able to bring things up and have, you know, be real in your conversations, but also to say, you know, you could even acknowledge like, Hey, Hey guys, I am having a rough day today. You know, I want to, I want to call that out. I'm sure some of you guys have rough days, um, but I know that we're all focused on, um, on hitting this target for today. And so I'm going to do my best at it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing um, your results today and, and being open like that and, and just sharing with people where you are, not trying to come off as a robot, that's a really powerful thing as well. Because so often, um, especially people who maybe are a little newer in management, think that their role is to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you're responsible for. And in fact, you're not ever going to be able to be successful at it. It's so funny that you just said robot. Um, I've been lucky enough in my career to have people that have uh, reported to me just establish that relationship where they're as comfortable giving me feedback as I have to be, you know, giving them feedback. And um, that was one of the, the things that someone said to me um, that really made me start thinking about this whole emotional intelligence concept was that, um, you know, they specifically said, like, we don't want to work for a robot. And so coming off as though, like, you know, you're just working for this company and you have the same pace and, you know, like not giving that um, humanity aspect to it, right? Like people don't want to work for a robot. Absolutely. And I think what you just mentioned there is so profound and something that I want to make sure that our listeners hear. You need to be able to both give and receive feedback. And if you're looking to grow into a successful leader, really look at your look at yourself. And first of all, are you able to, and have you built a practice around giving feedback consistently? Uh, because a lot of times what happens is managers have been trained or have been socialized to be able to give negative feedback, give you know constructive criticism. I'm not saying that you're, you're necessarily, you know, you're not berating people. It's not inappropriate. But a lot of times you've been, you've been trained to point out when things are wrong, and that's certainly important. Are you balancing that with giving good feedback when people are doing the right thing? Um, and not just celebrating a win, but celebrating and acknowledging when people are doing the right behaviors that lead to wins. Yeah. Because um, salespeople especially need that. There's going to be a lot of no's, a lot of bad, difficult days to, to say, hey, I, know, I noticed that you did all the right things. You followed the plan. Um, that can be powerful. But then, secondly, are, do you actually hear feedback? And first of all, if you're not getting it, that might mean that you are portraying in some way that you're not open to it. Um, potentially you seem, um, you seem like you wouldn't respond well to it, or you seem like you might, um, you might just not acknowledge it or not be open to it. And so understanding, first of all, um, if you're not getting feedback, why is that? And second, active, actively solicit feedback because, um, as somebody's leader, um, they just might not feel like it's appropriate to give you feedback unless you actively solicit it. So, you know, ask, say, hey, guys, I'm really committed to, to growing and improving and I'm, um, I'm going to be, you know, asking for feedback. Like you could say that as a one-time thing, just establishing it. Um, but then on an ongoing basis, say, you know, hey, I'd love some feedback. You know, how did, how did this situation go? How do you feel like I responded here? How do you feel like I'm doing it supporting you? Um, how could I be better at holding you accountable or, or whatever it is that you're, that you're curious about? really do the work to actively solicit feedback rather than just hoping that they're going to randomly provide it to you. Absolutely. I think um, I try and practice this in all of my one-on-ones where, you know, obviously we're focusing 
um, majority of the time on what the rep needs, right? So the one-on-ones that I run are not, um, it's not 100% my agenda, and I actually try and keep it majority the rep's agenda. So what are the things that they want to cover? I think that one-on-ones should be geared towards, um, you know, it's their time. So what are the topics that they want to cover? Anything that I need to cover should be done in the moment, on the fly, you know, during conversations, et cetera. Um, but I do try and leave some time in all of those one-on-ones to receive feedback as well. What are some of the things that I could do better to support you? Um, are you getting the tools that you need? Do you need additional training? Could I have done something differently to better support you? Um, and I think as they hear that you're open and receptive to that, it makes them more open and receptive to hearing feedback as well. Absolutely. We talk about having a feedback culture. And if you have a feedback culture, if you have an open communicative culture, if you do not bite somebody's head off when they when they give you negative feedback, um, you're, you're training them to see that feedback is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's such a foundational element, as you said, of emotional intelligence um, is, is not being afraid of what people might say, not being afraid of um, of a criticism, feeling like you're you're doing things wrong, or or somebody might um, might tell you that, but just being confident in your decisions, confident in what it is that you're doing, because um, you know that if if you start to go in the wrong direction, people are going to tell you and and give you the opportunity to grow and learn. Um, that's a that's a really impactful. Um, that's a really impactful kind of change in your behavior, in your communication style. So important. Um, and just as far as like kind of getting into people who are interested in that management path, right? Like some of the, the tips that I'll give either reps who are starting to think about management path or people who are managers who might be, you know, either struggling or just trying to improve, um, you know, on the concept of intelligence emotional intelligence, um, I think keeping a journal every day about situations that they're going through or, um, you know, ways that they were feeling throughout the day helps them really start to understand and manage their own emotions. Um, If they kind of go throughout their day and don't look back as to what occurred that day, it's really hard sometimes in the moment or later on in the day to figure out what was it that I could have done better. So I think really documenting like, okay, in this situation, I felt this way, or I handled this situation in a specific way, being able to go back and reflect on that helps you get into this habit of recognizing that emotion in the moment. Absolutely. Um, I put together, uh, I, I just feel like I'm constantly plugging the eBooks, but hey, I'm going to do it. Um, I put together an eBook on self-awareness uh, last year. And it, it is such an incredibly foundational skill for everybody. Uh, if you're looking, and again, um, you know, we're talking about the specific example of people who want to grow into successful leaders. But if you're a salesperson, if you're a coach, if you're anything, um, if you want to work on one foundational skill set that is going to help you build all your other skills, it's improving your self-awareness because you are going, a natural human thing is to be in denial about your weaknesses and to just subconsciously block out some of the things that are really preventing you from being successful. And a lot of times, actually, what we do is we focus on one of our weaknesses and we decide that that is the source of all of our problems and we ignore our strengths 
We ignore our skills. We ignore um, the things that we are actually doing well. And then we ignore some of maybe the big weaknesses we have that we don't even want to think about. And so we just like focus, you know, with, with all of our energy and all of our attention on, I just have to fix this one thing about me. And first of all, that's a, that's a terrible way to view yourself that you're trying to fix yourself. But second, um, there are probably things that you're doing, like, for example, not being terribly open to feedback that you're not even aware of and you've, you've kind of hidden from yourself or just never really thought about. And if you can develop a practice like you were just saying, Colleen, of, of journaling or even of just reflection or meditation or whatever works for you to really just analyze, you know, um, how am I behaving? What's working? What's not working? Um, when I feel this way, what am I doing? And is that successful at, at driving the outcomes I'm looking for? Um, and and as, you're, as you're learning and growing, actually going back and reading through and saying, okay, what did I do last time I felt like this? What did I do last time this situation occurred? Um, you know, I don't want to replicate that again, so I'm going to try something different this time. Right. Um... In addition to that, too, and, you know, this is definitely long-term thinking as opposed to kind of the day-to-day, but um, in the same vein, I think it's important to set, like, those year-long goals for yourself, right? So if there's, like, something specific that you're trying to focus on that isn't more, you know, day-to-day, but something that's going to take a year, like, you know, right now is a great time, right? The beginning of the year, new year, new you, like get into the habit of coming up with what are the things that you want to focus and get better on and coming up with an action plan to really work on those things. So maybe it's, you know, a few specific books that would be relevant to, you know, the area that you want to improve on, or um, maybe there's some classes, like I know local here in Boston, General Assembly is a great place to go and they teach classes on all sorts of different areas and curriculum. So I think coming up with like, you know, your own quarterly or yearly goals and then evaluating those at the end of each year to see, you know, did you achieve them or were there things that you need to do differently next year? Um, So getting into the habit of more of that long-term vision, especially as you get higher in your career, you need to have that long-term vision. Absolutely. I really, I really love that. And I think that that's something that um, people don't always take the time to do because a lot of times your goals that you envision are completely tied to sales numbers. And, you know, my goal for this year is I need to grow my team by, by 30% and I need to hit this target of, you know, 12 million in sales. Um, and you need to have goals for yourself personally as well. And, and that's not just about, you know, I'm going to hit this, uh, this weight or I'm going to, you know, find a relationship or whatever it might be, but really how do you want to develop as a professional and being very specific, something like I want to be better at receiving feedback and I want to consistently receive feedback, or I want to get better at my one-on-ones. I want to um, receive specific feedback from my team that they're getting value from my one-on-ones, or I want to do, uh, you know, even it could be very operational and process oriented. I want to develop a better sales meeting agenda because I feel like my sales meetings are a complete waste of time right now. Um, Or it could be more about yourself. You know, I want to be more resilient or, um, you know, whatever it might be, but really having those goals for yourself and and for you as a manager, for how you're going to better support your team. That's a powerful thing. And the way we approach life when we have goals, 
is so different from the way we approach life when we don't have goals. Um, because if you don't have a goal in mind, you're just kind of a lot of times very just head down, just day by day, what happens, happens. And as soon as you take the time to set a goal, you're, you're automatically going to be more reflective and more self-aware. And you're going to look at the world differently because you're looking at how you're actually, um, how you're actually doing on executing that goal. And that, that changes things. Yeah, and I do think it's one of our, um, you know, something that we're responsible for as leaders is, is helping our team mm-hmm. start to build that habit as well, right? So um, maybe not weekly, but on a regular cadence, um, I like to understand like what are the long-term goals of my team so that I can help them develop, you know, their own personal goals to get there, but then also... I'm focused on helping them achieve those goals that might not be relevant to their day to day. So, you know, if they're trying to, um, you know, maybe it's get into more of a sales operations role, I can help strategize with them on ways to get there. Or if it is leadership, maybe I can start sharing some of my day to day that help them at least understand the mentality or philosophies that I go through when I'm making decisions. Um, So I think, you know, understanding them, not just from what do I need them to achieve, but what do they actually want to achieve personally so that I can help them grow skills that are just outside of their day-to-day? Absolutely. I think one of the most powerful meetings I ever participated in with a client um, is where they had a conversation and they just went around the room and people could share whatever they felt comfortable with, but um, they had set a very big sales target and this was a sales team. And they asked the salespeople to reflect for it was five to 10 minutes, and then share, what is your personal goal that hitting the sales target would help you achieve? And some people were, you know, very cliche, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And they were saying things like, you know, I want to buy a boat. Um, But one person said, my wife and I want to adopt a child, and it's an expensive process. And if if we hit these targets, we're going to be able to successfully grow our family. Um, And, and, you know, somebody else mentioned um, that their their family they had their family had come from a country and they'd always wanted to visit that country. And if they hit the sales target, they would schedule a vacation to visit that country. And really helping people connect in that way can be so powerful. But you know, and that that's in a group context. And then, as you said, as a manager, having that one on one conversation with somebody of where do you want to be in five years? You know, we ask it in the first interview, and then sometimes it never gets asked again. <laughs> um, what are you working toward? What do you want to accomplish? Um, and then figuring out how you as a manager, as a leader, can help them on that journey. Uh, it's so incredibly satisfying when you know your people and you know what they're committed to and what they want to achieve and you're helping them get there. I had a very similar experience. Um, it was a little bit more of an exercise um, that was tangible than a conversation, but seeing people kind of put out that um, vision board, right? So having people actually like make something that sits on their desk or pins to their board or whatever that they look at when they're sitting there every single day to remind themselves of why it is that they're here and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, Cause I do think like it can get lost in the daily grind and um, creating that vision board and having pictures in front of them um, to help remind them, you know, about what, that adoption or that, you know, trip that they want to go on um, helps push them. Absolutely. Uh, I think sometimes ideas like this get dismissed as, you know, 
schlocky or as 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 silly but every time i've sat in on a conversation like this i even if i haven't been an active participant if i've just been there as the trainer you know and we're going to present something later in the day but they start the day we i've i've sat in on clients doing vision boards um it, it almost always brings me to tears i mean it's just such a powerful conversation people walk away with such energy. And as you said, when you do, uh, uh, when you have the, that structured vision board that people actually put together and there's something visual um, and that's shared, and then they put it up in their, like you said, in their desk later, or it's, it's I've, I've seen it where it was a public thing, um, it, it, it carries on. And yeah. if it's a one-time conversation, sometimes the, the value of that can diminish afterwards. But when you have uh, that that tool, you know, and even going back in, you know, in future sales meetings and referencing it and in one-on-ones, you know, how do you feel like you're doing to, to get toward your vision? What can I, how can I better support you as you get there? Um, what steps are you taking? Uh, that's, that's a really strong way, again, you know, back to what you started with of being human and not being a robot. Um, that's a way to connect to people at, at an emotional and personal level. It's not, you know, not inappropriately emotional and personal. It's really just being a person wanting to help them as people be successful. One of the other things that I know that you talk about, and I think you had mentioned that this was going to be a topic of discussion in um, in a conference that you're doing with the um, National Association of, of Women Sales Professionals um, in Boston, is the it factor that it can take to be successful in, in sales leadership. Do you want to give us just a little bit of um, your perspective on that it factor that you've seen um, that can help people be successful? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the association that I'm a part of, um, it's a nationwide association, but myself as well as another woman are really helping to get it launched here in the Boston area. Um, So the most recent professional development um, class that we taught was called the It Factor. Um, So this association is geared more towards women in sales um, than just sales in general. Um, but the concept of the it factor was really how to um, present yourself in a way that stands out from your peers, um, stands out in a male-dominated industry, um, and really just gives you that executive presence that you're trying to achieve to you know, either further you in that sales call, further you in your sales career, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, so a lot of the things that we were talking about um, were things just such as, you know, owning your space, that, that take, taking space in a room, right? Uh, one of the things that I do as soon as I walk into a conference room, and this sounds so silly, but I'll take the chair and I'll move it up. You know how like you can move the handle and your, mm-hmm. your chair goes up or down? That's the first thing I do. I get in a room and I make sure that my chair is as tall as possible. The last thing I want to do is be sitting in a, in a room with other people at a conference room and be short and feeling timid, right? So I want to make sure I'm equal with everybody else in the room from a, a leveling perspective. Um, even things such as putting your arms on the armrest, right? So like don't tuck yourself inside your chair and be small. Like, take your space, own your space. Um, I've seen so many people come into a conference room where there's not enough chairs, and the women are the first one to say, Oh, I don't need a chair. I can sit on the ledge, or I'm okay standing in the back, right? No, it's not okay. You deserve a space at the table like everybody else. Go grab a chair, pull up a seat, and be with the rest of the group. So, I think it's important just to um, really kind of point out the tendencies that we might have as female salespeople 
um, and calling it out and helping them identify them, first of all, and change them. That is wonderful. I That specific thing that you mentioned about taking your space, I, I've seen it in myself. Um, even things like, I got this great feedback from somebody. Um, I was participating in a training, but I wasn't the primary facilitator. I was kind of co-facilitating. And somebody um, was kind enough to um, pull me aside during a break and say, I don't know if you noticed this, but you start talking when you stand up and as you're walking to the front. And it's more powerful if you walk to the front and let people like fully see you and then start your conversation. And just making sure that you're visible in the space that you're in and that you're not diminishing yourself automatically. Um, I, I say that as I'm literally sitting in my chair, which is put all the way to the top with my arms on the armrest. <laughs> so I do it myself. But it's, you know, when I started my career, I would a lot of times um, as, you know, doing sales training and management consulting um, and working with executive teams, I would walk into a room and be the only woman in there with you know, 12, 13, 15 men. And fortunately that's changed a lot and it's wonderful to see. But I think um, especially for our, for our women who are listening, who want to become successful salespeople and sales leaders to really think about that it factor, that presence that you might have to be a little more intentional about because you might've been socialized to, to kind of hold back. And, um, and that's such, a, such an easy thing to do that a lot of people might not have ever thought to do. So that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other kind of tips, so part of the curriculum was based off uh, this book called Presence by Amy Cuddy. Um, and she was a um, social, she is a social psychologist that um, really does a, a study on presence and standing out and uh, her recommendations are, are doing these, uh, she calls it like the Wonder Woman pose or <laughs> uh, the victory pose, right? So uh, like taking a few minutes before you go into something, if you're scared about it, like taking a few minutes to just get yourself comfortable and confident. Um, I mean, for me specifically, it's like listening to a specific song or something on my way into work or meeting to kind of just like get me pumped up, you know, like I need to go in confident and motivated. And so it's just about finding what it is that makes you confident and motivated so that when you walk into that room, you're owning it. Absolutely. This exact topic came up in a conversation I recently had on the podcast with Dr. Russell Thackeray, and he is a psychologist. Um, and we spoke about resilience. And we talked about that kind of walk-on music um, because that's something that can really help, whether it's a song you play before uh, or, a, and we mentioned that, that pose, because um, whether it's looking in the mirror and having a conversation with yourself, whether it's, um, you know, closing your eyes and, and meditating and thinking about, you know, whether it's your vision board or, or something else, uh, just figuring out what are those behaviors that you could take? What are those things that you can do that get you into the mindset that you need to be to be successful? Um, I, I love that. And I remember when that book first came out and everybody was kind of, there, there was a little bit of you know, I think uh, sometimes gentle, sometimes not so gentle, laughing at that idea of the of the Wonder Woman pose, but it it really, it, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could even be, you know, maybe not some, something that you feel so uncomfortable doing, but it could just be words, right? Like maybe you have a phrase, um, you know, as a postcard on your desk, and every time you're going into a sales call, it's just, uh, you know, I am the best at this. I am the best salesperson. I can do this, whatever it is. And you look at it and you read it, 
And you're like, yeah, you know what? Like, I have no reason to be scared. I know what I'm talking about and I can handle this. Absolutely. And just, again, figuring out what works for you. And some people, it might be that they're doing the, you know, a pose. Some people, it's it's music. Some people, it's a it's a it's a statement and aphorism. Whatever it is that works for you, and trying different things. Um, it, there's there's so much about our results that depends on our mindset. And a lot of times, and this was a this was a big topic when I was talking to to Dr. Thackeray on the podcast. A lot of times, we think our mindset happens to us. We think that we need to. Well, it is based on thinking. I use the word thinking too much. We, we, we just, we feel a certain way and we just act from our feelings. And this goes all the way back to what you started with, of emotional intelligence. We control our actions and our actions might be based on what we're feeling and that's okay. And that makes sense, but they don't always have to. Um, and our actions can actually change the way we feel. And our actions um, are something that we have control over and, and we can be very intentional about. And again, not being fake but being intentional. And um, there's there's so much uh, learning um, that we could do. Uh, and, and again, you know, whether it's whether it's Amy Cuddy or or just any other um, anybody that, that speaks to you that helps you better understand yourself and and how you can um, how you can be intentional about uh, the way you approach the world. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I think um, the way that you respond to specific situations mm-hmm. also really factors into how people look at you as a leader. So like for me personally, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but when there's like chaos that was not created by me, I react so strong in those scenarios. So like one company I got, a, um, I worked for was acquired by a VC firm. And I mean, literally my third month in just like a meeting got completely kiboshed and they terminated like 75% of the organization. It's like situations like that. It's like, for some reason, I just like step into this totally different mindset where I'm like, all right, people are going to be looking at me to see how I react to this. And this is like a critical moment to not completely lose it. Right. Um, So I think that's like certainly been one of my strengths is just reacting in a very calm and professional way that people surround me to see how it is that I react and what should we do in the situation. Absolutely. The the best way to get a sense of who a person is, is to see how they react to outside stress. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want to grow into successful leadership, one of the most important things you need to be able to do is effectively handle situations that come up that are difficult, because that is when you're going to get tapped on to be to be a leader. If, if people see that anytime something difficult comes up, you flip out and make things worse, honestly, because that's what it does um, when you react out of, out of your stress, uh, people are not going to be asking you to step up into leadership roles. But if they right. see that you're, you're calm and you're helpful and you're focused and that you actually help the people around you stay calm and focused, um, that's, that's a very strong sign to people who are looking for you know that next generation of leadership in the organization. Yeah, definitely. All right. I have I have so much loved our conversation today. Something that we always like to share, you've already shared one, is book recommendations for our listeners. So you mentioned Presence by Amy Cotty. Second, highly, highly recommend that one. But do you have any other recommendations that you'd like to share? Oh, man, where to start? Um, <laughs> So I think one, um, just on the topic of like getting into leadership is one by David Cottrell. It's called Monday Morning Leadership. 
Um, he teaches really very tangible um, leadership skills, like how to make tough decisions, um, how to keep your, sh your stars shining, um, how to hire the right people, like very tactical day-to-day -day skills that are important. Um, so that's why I love that book. Um, another one by Mark Roberge is Sales Acceleration Formula. Um, a very tactical book, again, just on hiring, training, managing, uh, you know, coaching, compensation plans, metrics, uh, very specific things that, that people need to gain skills in as they're getting into leadership. Uh, and I'm trying to think. So one other one that I think is very um, useful, again, for like maybe a brand new manager is it's literally this handbook. It's called The Essential sales manager's handbook, which is like a playbook that's literally, I mean, you can fill out pages in it. Like it actually has specific uh, pages to, you know, complete activities and things like that. So it teaches you like if you're going into a new team, like what's the best way to establish rapport and kind of get them on your side. Um, so I really think that's great for first time managers that might not know exactly how to go into managing a team. Absolutely. I, I love that mix that you have of, um, we have a concept that we that we use here called philosophy and mechanics, where some of the things, um, sometimes it's really helpful to just be um, very philosophical and, and big concepts. And sometimes people need actual mechanics. And mm -hmm. if you can address both of those needs, um, you know, we have some books that are just literally, here's a tip for this, here's a tip for that, um, that's helpful. And, and, and that's useful. But then there are some people that, that really want um, just that big picture kind of vision and a concept and figure out again, what you need right now, what works best for you overall. Um, great recommendations. Thank you, Colleen. Sure. All right. Well, um, I, I have loved this conversation. I'm sure our listeners have as well. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go? Uh, so my LinkedIn is probably the best place for that. It's just uh, LinkedIn slash Colleen Manning. Um, so anyone can find my profile, a link to different podcasts that I've done there. Um, and I am very open to networking and helping other people. So happy to connect and, um, you know, grow my network that way. Definitely. And if people um, maybe in Boston are interested in the National Association of Women Sales Professionals, would that be the best place to reach out to you there to learn about it? Yeah, so there's a, a link in my profile there for sure. And there's actually a couple other groups um, that I work with. So I was just on a panel last week with um, WISE, which is the Women in Sales Everywhere group, um, and another one called Top Rep Boston, which is just more focused on um, salespeople in general in Boston. Uh, so yeah, happy to connect through there and help direct people to any types of sales events that they might be interested in. Wonderful. I know that um, it is... It's always really helpful, um, you know, when you're a specific group um, like women in sales to um, to have groups that can support you uh, in that because uh, it can it can be challenging. So thank you, Colleen. I really appreciate your time today. This was a fun conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. It was great being here. All right, and thank you to our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com/pod232. Make sure to check out the website while you're there. We have actually uh, released a new website recently. It is beautiful and much more easy to navigate than the old one. So um, I'm going to promote that, even though our marketing team didn't tell me to. <laughs> Be sure to tune in this Friday for another inspirational episode. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics or questions you want us to address, guests that you'd like us to speak to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you're enjoying the show, 
please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show, and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, Mark Krogan, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!